Welcome to Down in the Den. I am your host, Mars. Thank you for joining us on a very, very special episode. First off, before we begin, I'd just like to thank everyone who listened to our previous episode. It was a departure of our norm, where we're normally just talking about everything in pop culture and MCU and everything that we all love that brings us joy. But right now, at this time, the direction of our podcast is going to be a little bit different. We have to talk about what's going on in the world. We have to talk about social injustice. We can't be silent. So I want to thank you all who listen, everyone who shared and provided feedback. I've been receiving phenomenal feedback about our previous episode, a conversation about race. So we're going to dig a little bit deeper. We're going to have a conversation, we're going to have a dialogue, and we're going to discuss one of the most serious issues we have in this country and one of the most serious uh, issues facing the black and brown community, and that's police brutality. So we can't talk about police brutality without first digging in to the history of police brutality. Originally, the term was first used by the Chicago Tribune in 1872 to report a severe beating that a citizen suffered while in police custody. Now, I know growing up, at least growing up in the 80s and 90s, we were all taught the police are our friends. The police are here to protect and serve. We had McGruff the crime dog, and we had Officer Friendly come into school to let us know that if we see something, say something. But let's dig a little deeper into the origin of modern policing. And you can really go back to 18th century France where the modern police force were first used to serve under under the larger authority of the nation state. Now, some of the first large scale accounts of police brutality in the United States go all the way back to the Great Railroad Strike of 1877. We also had the Pullman Strike of 1894 and the Great Steel Strike of 1919. So what do all of those scenarios have in common? In each of those scenarios, the people were taking a stand against their oppressors, be it corporate oppressors, uh, whatever you might be, they were taking a stand and the police were called in and instead of protecting and serving the people that they've taken the oath to swarm, they were used by a oppressor to stop an uprising and the officers brutally beat people and and hundreds of people died in these scenarios. So now let's fast forward 28 years, March 3rd, 1991, or actually let's rewind 28 years back to March 3rd, 1991. Rodney King, an African-American construction worker, was arrested for allegedly fleeing police and resisting arrests. And a civilian, George Holliday, filmed the officers brutally and repeatedly beating Mr. King. The footage went global. Police brutality, which the African-American community has known for hundreds of years, was finally seen by the entire world. And at that point, the whole world knew, okay, police brutality, specifically in the United States, is a real thing. And we saw protests and riots happen uh, all across the world. And the pressure from that footage mounted to the four officers 
involved being arrested and tried, but not one single conviction was made. And that led to the L.A. riots. So now here we are, 2020, 28 years later, and to quote Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again. And we find ourselves not only in the country, but at a planet of uh, uh, the boiling point of hundreds of years of abuse from African-Americans and black and brown people all across the country. Abuse by officers who spit in the face of their oath. And we hear the same thing consistently. Oh, there's a few bad apples. There's a few bad apples. But as Chris Rock said in one of his stand-up specials, police force is not a job or a line of work where you can have a few bad apples. You simply can't. They have too much power. Can you imagine if the airline said, oh, 80% of our pilots are great, but 20% of you will probably crash. They would shut airlines down. It would be illegal for planes to fly if 20% of their pilots crash planes. But with the police force, which has so much power on the street level, that same approach is taken. Oh, it's just a few bad apples. So what's the answer? What's the answer to this situation? What's the answer to the scenario that the country finds itself in? And this is not a new issue. This is not a new issue about the scourge of the police brutality in, in America. Didn't begin with Rodney King. And we've all seen the American Civil Rights Movement of the 60s. We've seen peaceful protesters beat with batons, sprayed with fire hoses, police dogs sent on them. And the frequency of the shootings of unarmed people of color brings back past trauma that we haven't even had an opportunity to breathe, to get over. And the reputation of this country is already a notorious one. We only comprise 13% of the population in this country but we are 31% of those killed by police. What does that tell you? To me, it tells me that the officers are far more comfortable taking the life of a person of color. Is it because of stereotypes that all black people, specifically black males, are thugs? I don't think so. I think we have to look at the psychopathy of someone that takes the line of the work that wants to use that job to be a vigilante that wants to use a job to really just fulfill their racist fantasies. And that's what's going on right now. It's not a bad Apple approach. It's time for a paradigm shift. And I believe the true answer is far more complex than, as I've mentioned, just a few bad apples course there's a few bad apples just like there's a few bad employees at mcdonald's but this is a this is a systemic situation and the system isn't broken the system is working exactly how it was designed and you have so much going on with the sheer amount 
of power that the police have, combined with the pressure to conform to their blue code of silence, and then they have completely corrupt command and control structures in place, not to mention huge deficiencies with their internal investigations process. And what you end up with is a situation of who is policing the police. It's the only field of work that I can honestly, honestly think of where they police themselves. If you were suspected of fudging your taxes, the IRS wouldn't send you a letter and say, hey, investigate yourself. No, they have an independent counsel to do so. If you were accused of anything, they wouldn't allow it or leave it up to the person who's accused to either resolve or convict themselves of what they're being accused of. It just it just makes no sense. And what bothers me the most about what's going on in this current climate that we are, and it's a moment in time that we didn't have during the Rodney King scenario or any other scenario or time, is the sheer amount of footage that is coming out with everyone having a camera phone and every corner having a surveillance camera on it we are really getting a real view of what a lot of these police officers and police forces truly believe. I've seen a 100-pound girl on her knees protesting peacefully and kicked in the face by an officer that had to be at least 250 pounds. I have seen on Twitter and other social media sources People peacefully protesting, not rioters, not looters, people exercising their First Amendment right to peacefully assemble, shot in the face with rubber bullets and tear gas canisters, causing catastrophic injuries. I've seen college students pulled out of their car on their way minding their business, not even involved in the protests, pulled out of the car, windows broken, and arrested. I've seen footage of officers laughing, flashing white power signs. I've seen police chiefs blame the protesters for this. Not to mention our president using tear gas and combine forces to move protesters so he can get a photo op with a Bible that it looks like he's never touched before in front of a church that has been condemned all over, except for some of the fellow Republicans who just won't show the guts, won't show the guts and continue to lie on the wrong side of history. And trust me, I have family members that are in police force that actually uphold their oath and believe in it. But as long as this system that is currently in the place 
is in place, we will not have true justice. And when we have a president that continues to fan the flames and instead of being a great uniter, has continued to tell governors to be tough, to tweet, to police, be tough. It's just nothing I thought I would see in my lifetime. And I've seen right-wing groups come forward and say they are just waiting on the order from Trump to give them the green light. I've seen politicians in Florida or sheriffs in Florida tell people, hey, don't come to our county. We've got guns and we know how to use them and we want you to use them. This is the type of talk that fans the flames. So what's the answer? Do we continue to protest? Do we continue to march? Do we vote? Do we write letters to our local politicians? Yes, we do all of that. That's definitely part of the answer. But it's only part. It's going to take all of us, not just African Americans, but all of us that stand on the side of right, all of our allies to step up and use their privilege to stand up and say no more, to treat racism as the virus it is and eradicate it. And something that I've noticed that has just been so disheartening and heartbreaking is the amount of tax that those who do stand up receive from their own family and friends. Go to one of your white friends, Paige, that may have posted a Black Lives Matter post or may have posted, rest in peace, George Floyd. Just do this as an experiment and then dig into the comments. You will see a ton of their own family and friends condemning them for taking a stand on the side of right. Some of them will stand up and say, hey, you're wrong. Yes, Black Lives Matter. Yes, we need justice for George Floyd. Yes, we need justice for Breonna Taylor. Yes, we need justice for Ahmaud Aubrey. Yes, we need equality. Yes, we need to fix the system. And then some will cower and say, oh, I just put this up or, you know, I just want my black friends to know that I stand with them. Instead of standing up and saying no, You're wrong. And I know it's difficult to stand up to family and friends that you've known your entire life who aren't as enlightened as you. But the only way that we're going to fix this issue in this country is to stand strong and stay pat on the side of right. It's not enough to be non-racist. You have to be anti-racism. And there is certainly a difference from being non-racist to anti-racism. Non-racist means you're not racist or you don't have racist views yourself. Anti-racism means that you will not stand or tolerate racism in any shape, form, or fashion. And you will be bold enough to stand up to the family to your friends that you've known that may say something racist or make a racist joke and say, that's not acceptable. 
And if we're going to continue our relationship as a friend, as a family, your views will not be tolerated. These are the steps that are going to have to happen if we are going to see true equality in this country. Now, I have some guests with me today. Three young men, African-American males. And we're going to have an open and honest dialogue about their experiences with police brutality, their experiences with racism in this country, and their experiences as young black males just trying to make it in the country where they already have two strikes against them just because of the color of the skin. But before we get into that, before I bring my guests on, please take a moment of your time and go to change.org, contact your local ACLU chapter, grassrootslaw.org, as well as 8cantwait.org. These are some organizations that are really doing all they can right now to push for social justice across this country. Donate your money, time, your energy, anything you can right now, because this cannot be a moment. We can't have moments like we had in 2014 in Flint. We can't have moments like we did at Baltimore, where we're enraged, we protest, and then we go back. This has to be a movement similar to the civil rights movement in the 60s. This has to be a movement where we bully our vote, we demand change, and we keep our foots on the necks of those who we elect to make sure that they're consistent in their message and they consistently stand for this change. So without further ado, I would like to bring my guests on and we're going to have that conversation about police brutality in America.